Hello, and welcome to Somatic. This episode is part two of our short mini-series on the history and politics of yoga. In the previous episode, we spoke with Dr. Andrea Jan about the history of modern yoga, its popularization in 20th century consumer culture, and its relation to neoliberal capitalism today. In this episode, we want to focus on how particular communities experience yoga, particularly historically marginalized communities. We're going to play an interview with Shanice Jones Cameron, a doctoral student in communication at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Her research has been on black women's health and well-being discourses in social media. In 2019, Shanice published an article in the academic journal Race and Yoga. It was on the popular Instagram page, Black Girl Yoga. She studied the ways in which Black Girl Yoga engages black women with the spiritual and cultural practice. In the interview, Somatic co-founder Oliver Rick talked with Shanice about Black Girl Yoga, black women's experiences in yoga culture, and the politics of race and representation. So without further ado, here's the interview, and you'll hear from Oliver at the end. Oliver spoke with Shanice Jones Cameron over Zoom this past summer. Shanice first talked about what is modern postural yoga and the important issue of privilege in yoga culture, specifically in this current context, 21st century U.S. society. Yeah, so as we are proceeding through this conversation, I think it's maybe pertinent here to kind of make the distinction between like yoga as a traditional Indian spiritual practice and modern postural yoga. So thinking about yoga as a spiritual practice, I think about that as the eight lens of yoga and it being a guide on how to live a spiritual life. And then modern postural yoga refers specifically to the asanas, which is one of the eight lens of yoga And that specifically refers to the yoga postures and practicing the yoga postures and putting the body in particular positions. So when I think about modern postural yoga within the context of the United States specifically, and then when I think about privilege within that context, I think about who is most often portrayed as the prototypical yogi. So within a United States context, specifically middle class or upper class white women who are oftentimes going to be thin or have a smaller body type are oftentimes our go-to image of who is a yogi or a yogini specifically. And when I think about privilege within modern postural yoga in the United States, I think about that as not having to think twice about whether or not a yoga space is going to be inclusive and safe for you. So scholars have pointed out that yoga, the majority of yoga practitioners in the United States are white women. And you see a lot of that reflected in media, specifically books, um, likely television, as well as social media influencers, oftentimes within the United States context are predominantly going to fit that prototypical yogi image that a lot of us may have adopted just by operating within the society. So because of that, I think part of what happens is other individuals who are further away from that prototype may not necessarily see themselves as 
being accepted into the spaces. So what this looks like on a practical level is when you go to a in-person yoga class, oftentimes there will be a white female instructor. A lot of the people who are practicing yoga will be white, particularly white women. And so when you enter into these spaces, you have to be mindful of how you are navigating these spaces as well as being mindful of your presence and not fitting into this prototype. So what I think this does is it creates a situation where anyone who wants to venture into a mainstream yoga space is more than likely going to be set up for that prototypical yogi or individuals who fit into this idea of middle-class, upper-class white women and anyone else who may be thinking about practicing yoga that tends to oftentimes automatically set up a barrier in terms of how you show up in the space, if you can show up in the space and creates a different experience for you when you do enter into these spaces. Shanice discusses the issue of access and barriers to access, specifically as it relates to representation in popular yoga culture. When I think about barriers to access, I definitely think that one of those barriers would be representation, particularly for um, when we're talking about Black yoga practitioners in particular. So the way I think about this is if the majority of the time, middle class, thin white women are the prototypical yogi, I think of this as exclusionary framing because it is kind of acts as this gatekeeping mechanism, which says that these are the individuals who this practice is meant for. And everyone else who does not fit within this idea of who should be practicing yoga is kind of left out. So it just kind of acts as an extra layer that may impede Black yoga practitioners or potential yoga practitioners for even participating in this practice. So presumably, as I've kind of said, if you don't identify with the prototypical yogi, that automatically sets up this barrier for you even being interested in trying yoga. And I see this even anecdotally, like in my own life with my own friends. And I was having a conversation with one of my friends the other day, and she was talking, she's an African-American woman, she's a black woman, and she was talking about how she would like to try yoga, but she felt that it was not meant for her. She thought that it was just something that was meant for white women, and she didn't know how comfortable she could exist in these spaces, and that for her has been somewhat of a non-starter. So like you may see yoga materials and advertisements and products and this commercialization of yoga that is propagating this image of who can be a yogi. And that automatically stops some people from the get-go. So that may be one of those areas where representation becomes really important. But let's say that in this case, or for example, specifically, a Black woman is able to kind of navigate that exclusionary framing and say, you know what, I'm going to try yoga class, or I'm going to download this yoga app. Once you get into the yoga class, and once you get into, or once you open that app, you may see, once again, that the same exclusionary framing is present in these spaces. So thinking about a yoga class in particular, 
you go to a yoga class and you're surrounded by people who you may not identify with as far as like your racial background and some of your experiences and you automatically kind of feel like an other. And there have also been cases where a lot of, um, there's a fantastic book called Yoga, the Body and Embodied Social Change by Barella, Klein and Roberts. And they do a fantastic job of outlining some of these implications and unpacking like some of the experiences of women of color in particular in yoga spaces. But you go to a yoga class and you may be experiencing microaggressions with someone moving their yoga mat so they don't have to practice beside you or being asked particular questions about like your hair texture and your experiences or kind of this double consciousness of knowing that you are in a space that is traditionally been kind of created to keep you out either intentionally or unintentionally and you have this experience of recognizing that this space is not traditionally for me and I'm operating in the space that has not necessarily been open to me and my presence. So that becomes like an additional layer. And then another, so in addition to representation and how representation kind of contributes to this question of access and who is being included in these yoga spaces, I think the perceived cost associated with yoga can be another issue. So specifically within the context of cost, um, the latest statistics I was able to find is that Americans spent $16 billion on yoga classes and accessories in 2016. And so I think this commercialization of yoga absolutely comes into play here because you've got $70 yoga bolsters and yoga mats and straps and in-person classes and online classes and yoga clothes, especially those that are viewed as more high-end brands. All of this can be really expensive and all of this requires disposable income. And so, of course, you can practice yoga poses and engage with yoga in more of a simplified way. This you, you don't need all of these accessories. But if the perception is that I need all of these things to participate in yoga because of this massive commercialization of yoga, I think that's inevitably going to discourage some people from even considering yoga as a practice that they can engage in. And in addition to like those factors, there is a large gap between the wealth of Black African-American households and white households. And of course, COVID has kind of highlighted and shed light on some of these existing structural like inequities. And so with that, the average Black household is generally going to have less disposable income than the average white household. So that also may become a problem. And I do want to be careful here to not necessarily overstate the income piece because the majority of African Americans do live above the poverty line and I don't want to generalize. But I do think that it becomes a variety of factors that contribute to these barriers that may prevent Black women in particular, from engaging with yoga. Sure. 
Shanice conducted a critical discourse analysis of the Instagram page Black Girl Yoga, a page that today has over 112,000 followers. In her article, she argued that Black Girl Yoga engages African-American women with the spiritual practice. It, quote, constructs a culture of inclusivity, it affirms the individuality of black women, interrelates African-American cultural discourse and yoga principles, decenters black women's marginalization, and creates continuity between digital counterspaces and physical counterspaces. Shanice talked with Oliver about the significance of black girl yoga during their interview. Black girl yoga, one of the things that attracted me to black girl yoga as I was thinking about Black women yoga in this project, particularly within context of social media, is that Black Girl Yoga is a curated Instagram page that features Black women practicing yoga. The fascinating thing about Black Girl Yoga is that they feature women, particularly Black women, on this page that have different body types, hair textures, skin complexions. And I think that is particularly important when I think about the broader context of Black womanhood and as well as Black women within the United States. So hair texture and skin complexion within a white supremacist society and considering Black women within the context of this white supremacist society and European beauty standards, I think it becomes significant that Black girl yoga is trying to expand the space and be inclusive within the context of Black women in particular. They're not just showing images of Black women who may more readily or more closely resemble the European standard of beauty or the prototypical yogi. They're not just featuring the lighter skinned, thin Black woman and presenting that image as the prototypical image of the Black female yogi. They're not doing that. They are making a point to include a variety of Black women in this space so that a Black woman who does not necessarily fit with the prototypical yogi as closely as some other Black women, she can come and see herself represented in this space as well. So I think on one level, it increases the representation of Black women yogis just kind of on this mainstream level as challenging this prototypical image of who can practice yoga and who is acceptable in these spaces. It also offers Black women in the range of Black women that exists within the United States that regardless of how much I align or don't align with this so-called yoga body, that there is space for me too. I especially appreciated the effort in making sure that they're featuring a variety of body types, hair textures, skin complexions. And I think that that is the piece that made Black Girl Yoga particularly fascinating and empowering for me. And then in addition to that, I think another reason why Black Girl Yoga is so significant is that Black Girl Yoga is a curated space. So meaning that they are taking the post that are tagged with hashtag Black Girl Yoga and pulling from thousands of other Black women who may be using this hashtag and putting it in this one putting this putting it on this one instagram page so you have a multitude of voices and that collective meaning making that is displayed on this instagram page that in some ways it 
transcend some of the spatial and temporal limitations of maybe a yoga magazine, but you're, you have this constant curation of information and images and black women as knowledge producers about their own bodies and their own health and their own experience existing on this one particular curated space that was curated in a way that is trying to broaden who is considered who can be an experience and a practice yoga as well as making sure that they are not necessarily just appealing to one brand of black women that may be propagated and raised on a pedestal to be this ideal of what a black yogini should look like or who a black yogini should be. One thing that I would add to this is that Black Girl Yoga positions Black women as knowledge producers by creating this curated space. So you have like the average everyday Black woman who is coming home from work or is at home because of the current circumstances photographing herself doing yoga and Black Girl Yoga takes the image of this Black woman and puts it on the Black Girl Yoga Instagram page, which has thousands and thousands of followers. And so it's taking this these images and using it to show other Black women that here are everyday Black women practicing yoga, photographing themselves doing yoga. There is space for you as well in this movement. So I think that is particularly important because oftentimes Black women um, I think about the like site black women on Twitter and the calls to cite black women more readily in scholarship. I think about these calls for making sure the black women's voices are heard and elevated. And I see black girl yoga as a space that is trying to make that more top of mind in some ways. And so I also think that another way that Black Girl Yoga is disrupting kind of these hegemonic constructions of Black womanhood is that kind of, as I mentioned, going back to like the mammy and the strong Black woman and this emphasis on Black women needing to be collective oriented and care for everyone else before themselves. Um, while I do think that that argument could be made for women more broadly, I think there's something very nuanced and specific about this collective orientation for Black women in particular, because you do have these controlling images like the mammy and the strong Black woman. And a space like Black Girl Yoga, one of the things that I noticed that was particularly fascinating for me is that the majority of the photographs that are featured on the page, by and large, are going to be Black women by themselves engaging in this modern postural yoga practice, which can be particularly grounding and affirming for the individual yoga practitioner. So this becomes a space where you are seeing a visual representation of the individual Black woman being not only represented, but also the representation of the individual Black woman taking time for herself and creating space in her day for herself outside of the societal discourses that oftentimes don't attend to the fact that black women are also necessary of, or that black women are often 
Black women are often needing the same care and the same need for rest that everybody else has. The interesting thing is, as I kind of return to this article and just kind of return to Black Girl Yoga as a digital counter space, particularly existing on Instagram, I think one of the important takeaways that I have just kind of being retrospective about this project is that Black Girl Yoga, I think it offers an escape in some ways and offers new ways of coping. So one of the things in my article that I pointed out was that Black Girl Yoga doesn't emphasize politics in a way that one might expect or assume that a space for Black women would emphasize politics. Instead, you see the images of the individual yoga practitioners and you see the Black women practicing yoga on the beach and all of these other spaces that in 2020, which is, this isn't new, but in 2020, this is also happening at a time where Black people are not safe anywhere. Black women aren't safe in their own homes. Black people aren't safe walking down the street. You can have the police called on you for walking down the street. You can you can be subjected to this extreme policing just going on about your everyday life. So what I think about what when I think about Black Girl Yoga and I think about what it represents particularly in this time and in thinking about the fact that they don't heavily engage with some of these more heartbreaking aspects of Black life, I think it offers Black women somewhat of an escape when you go to the Black Girl Yoga page. So one of the ideas that I often go back to when I think about this is, and I've kind of mentioned this just in the course of this conversation, is that when there is this heavy focus on the collective trauma of African-Americans in particular, be it police brutality, Black death, um, the health inequities and disparities that Black people within the United States face, like that should be top of mind and top of like mainstream conversations. I'm not saying that it shouldn't, but I also think that the emphasis on the negative aspects of like collective Black life makes it very easy to forget that Black folks are human. And Black women in particular, we are human, we are individuals, and we have those same everyday struggles as everyone else. Like we're going to work, taking care of our children, we have interpersonal struggles, we're trying to live our lives like everyone else. And I think a space like Black Girl Yoga helps to remind Black women that it's okay to be an individual. It's okay to not simply be indulging and subjecting yourself to the traumatic headlines and focusing on how this pandemic is highlighting these existing inequities that we face when we go to the doctor or how we experience the world. And I think that's one of the pieces that I appreciate about Black Girl Yoga is that it does kind of 
force the viewer to take a step back and not necessarily catastrophize Black life in the way that we are often oriented to see through it, be it through news, headlines, social media, like it kind of forces us to kind of step back and think like, okay, here's an image of an individual Black woman practicing yoga on a sidewalk somewhere, meaning she's in public. And it's kind of this reminder to be fearless, to let racism and the collective trauma in some ways fall to the background so you can focus on yourself, so you can focus on existing, so you can focus on your individuality, so you can focus on being human. And I think that's what some of these images and these representations um, offer us, particularly with the current context of being in the middle of a pandemic, as well as the constant reminder of how Black life is often disregarded in this society. And so I think that's what is what is particularly helpful within our current context and thinking of yoga and engaging more black women with yoga particularly black women who may think okay well I don't really think of yoga as something that is meant for me but engaging the black women who may have an interest in yoga but may not necessarily see themselves represented in mainstream spaces I think it also offers black girl yoga offers black women a new way of coping with all of the current context in which you see this emphasis on domination and dominating black folks, black bodies, and that disregard of black life. I think that black girl yoga offers a really important space for kind of decentering that so that we can focus on our survival and our individuality as well as looking at it as a looking at yoga and being able to rely on yoga as a way of helping us exist and cope within this very tumultuous um, context. All right, everyone, this is Oliver jumping back in at the end. Um, you know, this conversation was just really special um, to be able to have. Um, we, me and Shanice, uh, talked over, over Zoom um, uh, for a good long while. Um, these are just some of the highlights. And um, uh, she opened my eyes to a lot of ideas and new thoughts. Um, and she did such an amazing job in being able to kind of um, take us through a discussion of her work and the specificities and the internal dynamics in and around ideas um, in the yoga world and the yoga the idea of yoga culture and how black women fit into yoga culture. Um, but then, as you just heard at the end, uh, her ability to connect that to broader themes around uh, women's health, black women's health, and in this particular moment, um, how that is, how that is a particular issue in a in a pandemic that has. Um, such significant dimensions to it which are race, racially oriented 
and then obviously connecting into um, the particular uh, issues that we're facing up to to a greater degree now we've always been there but we are paying more attention to as a society uh, but connecting to issues of black lives and black lives matter her ability to connect all those pieces together was really special um, and, I, and I hope you all enjoyed all of that uh, in this conversation and in the highlights of this conversation that um, that we put together um, again I also want to thank uh, Dr. Jan uh, this being kind of a little mini series that we have both uh, both contributed some amazing uh, content for these shows um, and, and we are both me and Sam are, are very grateful for their time and their effort in putting this all together um, it, it meant a lot for us to be able to get them on and, and, and have these conversations it, they really are uh, you know some of the best best that we've been able to put out there and, and we're really uh, excited to share that all with you as always um you can find out more by checking in at the website somaticpodcast.com where there will be an accompanying uh, blog post of sorts to go along with that with some links and, and, and some other information in there that you can you can jump into um additionally if you have any questions or anything you can get hold of us at somaticpodcast at gmail.com um we get that regularly back get, get back to people regularly if anyone wants to get in contact with us um you can also go to the website there is a form through which you can connect with us as well um but i, I really can't thank enough uh, uh shanice jones cameron uh, and dr andrea jam for these two uh and again thank my co-host sam uh, for really spearheading this effort and putting together just an amazing little series here um, my, my involvement was minimal compared to compared to the work he's done on this one so I thank him again as well on this um, as I do privately every time I get the chance um, as well I'll do it publicly here um, with all of that said it is just uh, left for me to say this has been Somatic 